With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Tim Tam McFlurry is back at Macca's. Now available with rich chocolate soft serve. Epic has arrived. The Kia EV9, a groundbreaking all-electric large SUV. Captivating appearance with state-of-the-art design. This is Sports Day. And it's a very good evening and welcome along to Sports Day. Kane Corns with you for what will be a jam-packed couple of hours. Jared Waitley is going to join us after a fascinating day one of the third test of the SCG between the Aussies and Pakistan. Live scores as we speak. Pakistan got themselves to 313, would you believe? Didn't the tail wag? 223 runs between 6, 7 and 9. The Aussies are in, and David Warner, his last test match, smacks the first one through point for four, the first ball of his inning. So he's off to a flying start in the first over. He's faced four balls, and he's on six. Not out. Jared Waitley to sum up all of that for us very, very shortly. Oh, it was just so... I mean, it's, it's hard not to commentate live as it's happening, but... Uh, David Warner was just incredibly lucky not to be bowled as he played one back on that just missed the stumps. The Pakistan fielders have all fallen to their knees. They cannot believe what they have just seen. So it was almost a half volley, like a centimetre over the top of both bales. And Warner survives. Um, no Shaheen Afridi, which is a shame. So they've opened with spin Pakistan and... Anyway, we've got a game on our hands because it wasn't looking that way with the way that they started. They won the toss. They elected to bat. Both openers were dismissed for ducks and the Aussie quicks are on fire. Uh, Cummins took another fire for that's his third fire for in a row. So he is on fire. If you've got a thought on any of that and you're tuning in on the SEN app or regionally with us on Sports Day this evening, give us a call. 1-300-736-736. That's the Harcourt's open line. The Temper Text Machine is 0433981116, and we are here for Kia. Epic has arrived. The all-electric Kia EV9, if you don't mind. And for Maccas, the Chicken Big Mac is back at Maccas. And as I said, for all things real estate, that is our Harcourt's open line, one 736 Also coming up, we'll speak some tennis with BP as we get towards um, the summer of tennis really kicking off with the lead-in tournaments to the Australian Open happening as we speak. So BP will give us the latest on that. And touched on last night just how good the NBL is going. Felix Van Hoff is the expert from ESPN. He's going to join us as the day's play has closed out. The Aussies survive none for six. Warner going at a runner ball. 
the Aussies chasing down 313. To tell us all about it is the captain of the SEN commentary team. He's had a big day. It was jam-packed. There was twists. There was turns. There was action everywhere. Jared Waitley's his name. Jared, good to chat. Happy New Year, and thanks for your time. Kane, happy New Year to you. you. You can't get this sort of action that we've had today in any form other than Test cricket. So I hope she's not dead or dying. Yeah, well, I, I want to get your thoughts on that surely, and I want to I want to explore it a little bit uh, with you. But let, let's let's wrap up the day's play. I, I guess it's a par score, is it in the end? Uh, it's below par. My, is my okay. gut feeling is win the toss and bat on a sunny day at the SCT. Uh, something in the mid-300s minimum, I think. I suspect par's probably about 400. But from where Pakistan got themselves at 4 for 47, to post-313, they'll feel like they're in the fight as they head to the to the hotel tonight. Is One of the dynamics of touring teams is once they are beaten here, mm. it can tail really badly. And I, that was the risk in the middle of the day, is that Pakistan might get routed post something in the low 200s and Australia goes big and then this is over in three days. So first, Mohamed Rizwan, who's such a goer. He's everything you want in a modern keeper. He makes 88. And then a remarkable phase of play after T where Amir Jamal, who really is just a squad backup member, he gets his chance through injuries, played some splendid test cricket, but he makes 82. And an 86 run stand for the last wicket was absolutely brilliant. And... Um, a bit unflattering for Australia in the, the tactical battle. So it changed a lot. And then just when you went on, Kane, is Warner had to face that last over. The second last ball of the day has got through him onto his boot and it looped the bail. Like it was a breath away from removing the bail and that would have been just an astounding way to finish the day if Warner had been out. No, I was distracting. I was opening the program and I saw the Pakistan players all fall to their knees. I thought, something's happened here. Yeah, and there were yeah. centimetres in that not clipping the bales. But I was tuning in for a large portion of the day on SEN and I heard you and Simon speak about that potential capitulation from the visiting team when there's there's nothing to play for. So I was really pleasantly surprised how they were able to fight and turn it around. And uh, later on in the day, Ian Smith was quite critical of, of the Aussie tactics and hard not to be... Um, why didn't we just have a crack, Jared? Like, we got the best bowling attack in the world. It seemed short. It seemed defensive and played into the Pakistan tail's hands. It's so interesting. So after T, that that was the plan that was enacted. And right at the start, you're going, is this, is this really the way? But it picks up three cheap wickets. Mm. Uh, Salman holes out uh, to Head and Hassan holes out to Stark. And uh, Sajid was the first to go in, in that sequence. So you're going, oh, this is going to work. Um, at nine for 2.27. And then Australia stayed with it for too long. So Jamal played really well. He was able to farm the strike. And after being unsettled initially, he found his method in defying Australia. And so it just went for too long. Um, and I, I feel like it's once you hand ascendancy up, and that's what the tactic did... Keep in mind, there were three catches dropped in that partnership, so I think that's worth referencing as well. Um, then they handed ascendancy to Jamal, who really got the threat of it. And, and Kat mentioned that they basically gave him a net session to tune his game to any portion of the ground that he liked, and he wasn't taking the runs. And then he started to lash out, and he, he was particularly harsh on Lyon as he, as he hammered sixes and fours, sometimes off consecutive deliveries. So 
um, it was it was really odd, and it's one of those ones you'd, you'd I guess hopefully in the post match with with um, Cummins taking five because he'd probably do the press conferences to mm. just why they went with that and why they stuck with it for so long, and the the cost of it. I think it's a. a Anyway, there are partnerships that you have to go back to the mid-80s to find against Australia at this ground for the 10th the wicket to find a precedent for it. Mm. Yeah, well, 6, 7 and 9 made 223 between them in a total of 313. So that, that says it all, yeah, really. Yeah. We probably should have them dismissed for, for under 200. I, I had a chuckle at your byplay with, with Pete Lawler about the weather and you weren't optimistic at one stage. I think you were checking the radar and the, the rain was coming in. Have you got your head around what the next four days looks like? Uh, it should be okay. The, the Sydney's forecast is hard to reconcile sometimes with what happens. But, uh, yeah, a week ago it, it looked like a pretty ordinary forecast, but it has progressively cleared up. Tomorrow was the risk of rain, but even that has been reduced. Um and it was like it was the most beautiful summer's day in Sydney. It was, it's half tongue-in-cheek, but then it's half we lose so much of the test match to rain. It, it's a yeah. city that boasts about its its picture-perfect weather and its postcard <laughs> scenery. Is So often it ruins their test match. Um, so it was great to get the full day. The radar had some horrible stuff, but it never reached the ground. So it, it's, it's a great novelty to get a clear day's play in Sydney. And hopefully we get a full test because, as I said, there is some by-play in it. But it's ruining test matches here. Yeah, the yeah. draw is, um, it's an anachronism sometimes in modern test cricket, but they're draws here because we lose so much to the weather. You'd love to see, I, I felt like Melbourne's test, the heightened event that is Boxing Day, got, got the match that it deserves. I would love mm. Sydney to get the match that it deserves because the patrons come, there are no questions here around. They, they get dead rubbers nearly every year, uh, but they turn up, it's a real event, it's now built around the the McGrath Foundation, which is great. So, yeah, mm. I mainly hope that we all get a full game and that they get a game worthy of the occasion. Yeah, I think I'm right in saying you've been a really strong supporter of Pat Cummins from the moment, really, he was announced as our, our test captain. Has he even surprised you as how well he's grown into the role and uh, how he's, I, I guess, using himself and when to bring himself on and his bowling changes and his calm demeanour as an Aussie skipper. They're, they're now talking about him as an all-time great skipper. It seems a little bit premature to me, but uh, are you surprised at how well he's developing? Uh, I think this was the great hope. Is He's such an intelligent man and he's such a great cricketer. He just hadn't done much captaincy before, so it was going to take him a little while to figure out the rhythms of it and the choices that he would make at various stages and how he would enact information. So... The, the last the last year was such a big time for him as captain, and it comes with great trials. Is he he has to leave the Indian tour through the the family bereavement with his mum passing away, and then the Ashes is not a straightforward series for any captain ever. Mm, I think mm. in the way that that cricket is played, and he has moments where he he gets lost, and and he's acknowledged that. And then he has this extraordinary time at the World Cup through the semi-final and the final where he makes some of the bravest and best decisions we've ever seen from an Australian captain. And then I do, I think he's figured out how to use himself. And he, he, I think part of that is his, his evolution. He is the strike bowler of the team. He's long been the number one ranked bowler in the world. It's not a mantle he holds at the moment, but mm. uh, he, he senses the, the moment of impact. As when it's just going along he realises that that's his time to bring himself on and then he's delivered against it. So there's nothing like 
yeah, I'll do this. Oh, and by the way, I'll take a wicket in the first over. So you get the reinforcement of it. And I think the team now looks to him going, it's, it's, it's your turn to bowl, Pat. So historically, one of the hardest parts for captains has been to either over-bowl themselves or under-bowl themselves. Mm. And he's hit the absolute sweet spot. And he's bowling, he's just bowling so well. Yeah. It's a historically rare feat to take five in a row in three, uh, five wickets in three consecutive innings. So he's just done that. Um, he, he looks every inch like he's going to strike almost every over and against the best batters in the team. He, he just he works Baba over so well today and Shaquille, who we all think is a great player of the future. He softened him up and then uh, and then removed him with a nick outside off stump. So, And then in all of that, Kane, there are going to be a heap of questions around the way he marshaled the troops in the 10th wicket stand. Mm-hmm. So he's going to he's going to wear criticism at the end of today's play and it'll be interesting to hear the explanation. So it's part of that captaincy is he's the player of the day. And yet I reckon 60% of what he's going to be asked is on the negative side of things is how, how he let things get away from this Australian team. Yeah. It's funny that, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's the role of the Aussie skipper. I mean, that, that's, that's par for the course, isn't it? It is one of the most, if not the most scrutinised jobs in, in Australian sport and go back to captains from, from yesteryear to Mark Taylor and I remember his form slump and the questions around him and Steve Waugh would have had his critics at the time, Ricky Ponting, the same, Michael Clark certainly. It, I guess it's not anything different to what other captains before him have gone through. No, but he'll wear both sides of this, so he's one of the bowlers mm. as well. As This is and this is what I think has been so interesting is having a bowling captain on a few fronts. One, the, the tactics that are employed, the understanding of his fellow bowlers, when to deploy and how they're feeling and even the choices to bowl at various stages with a bat, which a batting captain probably wouldn't make. And then his capacity to shape the game to his own will. But he ends up neck deep in the short bowling as well. And he wasn't taking his wickets initially through the through the short stuff, no. he does after T and, and they go all in on it but can't get that 10th wicket. So he's both the... I mean, he's not the sole architect, but he, he's the one who enacts the tactic and then he bowls the short stuff and it doesn't work. So, yeah, I, I think that's why the job is so wearing. I think Alan Border has um, sort of spoken as the years have gone on. Is The job is just so taxing. So to be able to do it at that high level and maintain your game... That's been the great triumph of the early stages of Pat, of Pat Cummins' captaincy. His bowling has actually soared while he's been captain. And then you have to wear these um, these peaks and troughs along the way. And, and you know, today's one of those. It's, yeah. it's a great day, really. He's taken five wickets. Australia uh, lose a, an important toss. They knock the opposition over in a day. And yet there's this aspect to it which is going to sit uncomfortably. Wasn't Nathan Lyon's best day, but um, you guys today on the coverage covered extensively. Just, just how he snuck up on us, like five hundred and six wickets, Jared. Like he's he's under sixty yeah, away yeah. from Glenn McGrath. And when you speak to him, and and he doesn't do a lot of media, but when when you do speak to him, he's not thinking retirement. Like he's hungry. I think the calf injury sort of lit a fuse underneath him and sometimes it it takes that to be a little bit more professional and to, to tick every box when you get to the age that he is. Has anyone in that uh, team of yours done the numbers on, on where you think he could end up and on the all-time wicket-takers list? So the, the first thing, Kane, I reckon the, you know, the, the glow of the summer was when he took his 500th wicket. So there weren't as many people as there should have been in Perth to mark that occasion, but there was no missing the way that the affection that was attached to that all the way around the country. So 
for all that Lyon has lived through and the progression and evolution of his career, that is such a significant moment, and it was there instantly recognisable. And the second part is, is there were there were outlandish predictions that, that he could get to 700 to the mark set by Shane Warne. I suspect that's probably a, a, mm. a little bit um, a bit rose coloured, but is that the modern trend is for, for the athletes who have lived their whole careers in high performance, there, there's a longevity aspect, which we're seeing in every sport. Mm. Now, spin bowling is demanding, but it's not as demanding on the body as the fast bowling. So the spinner should be able to go further. And we always felt that Shane Warne, he pulled up abruptly and probably prematurely. Yep. Um, Lyon, there's no pressure on Lyon to pull up and the, the the targets are really obviously there, India next summer and England the year after and that, that desire for, for England and for India back offshore in the future. So while his body holds up, and, and he has been a picture of that, hasn't he? He's played the 100 consecutive test matches before the calf injury. Mm. This probably comes at the right time to make his assessments. Is While he is physically fine and mentally dialled in, his skills are actually improving. I remember I remember talking to Shane Warne a few years back at this test match and he figured out so much more about spin bowling as the years went on post his retirement. He actually knew even mm. more than he did when he was playing. So if, if Lyon is able to continue on with that, there'll be no pressure to see him out of this team and there'll, there'll be plenty of tours where Todd Murphy will get to bowl alongside him and, and Murphy's a young player who's got time to wait. So... Yeah, I personally don't think he'll get to 700, but um, he's got. I feel like he's got a couple of summers more in him. Yeah, and he hasn't played the white ball cricket that Shane Warne played, and I guess his bowling technique isn't as demanding. Warne had the the shoulder issues because of how much he he ripped the ball. So anyway, wait and see. But regardless, if it finished right now, what a remarkable career he's had. Now I hope you just yep. didn't consume the the social media breakout, Jared. I, I was on holidays, as you know, and I was consuming the dire um, coverage of, of Test cricket. And there's a couple of things behind it. T- Todd Greenberg was the first one that my radar just went up. And he's, when he said he's not been an alarmist, but he's been a realist that there may only be three uh, really strong Test nations in three years. Then your man, Crash Craddock, he said that uh, Stafford arresting those players is more damaging than match-fixing, chucking, and Rebel Tours put together. And then I'm hearing Moses on Reeks, and then I'm speaking to Damien Fleming, and I'm going... We're in a little bit of trouble because how many 15-year-olds are consuming test cricket like you and I did when we were kids, Jared? It, it, am, am I over the top? How much of it is, is real and, and what needs to be done to make sure that in 10 years' time we are talking like we are today? It's the main conversation facing cricket and every point you raised is right. And the only, It's not that test cricket is dead. It, it, test cricket will diminish. Um, but I do think, so what we will see across the next two summers, this is where I find myself, we will see the premium product and you watch how transfixed we are by it when India is here and then England is here the year after. So that's the premium version of Test cricket. They are the three nations who treasure it, value it, support it, invest in it and prioritise it. We, we have luxuries that other nations don't have. So the, the two things that have happened is Pakistan, um, sorry, South African cricket was going broke. Mm. They came up with this T20 competition that the IPL now funds, and now they have to pay the piper. 
is the IPL teams own that competition and there's no way the Indian money will accept a two-test Tests, a two-test series against New Zealand with all the premium players missing the tournament that they have paid for and they're keeping South Africa afloat. That's different to the West Indies problem. So the two squads are the same. There are seven uncapped players and 15-man squads and we're going to see it um, graphically on our shores. I, I, I live in fear of these two tests against the yeah. West Indies uh, and then South Africa have sent the uncontracted players in a total disrespectful move to test cricket but that is their reality so the reality of nations outside of Australia, England and India is different to the three who will be the bastions of test cricket so I feel we will ask ourselves in a couple of summers time why would we play test cricket against anyone other than India and England which is the premier product it will transfix us it will engross us and we will fill grounds around the country. Why would you then play against other nations who don't have the same setup? They talk about the primacy of test cricket, but they don't live anything that, that supports that. So I, my personal view is that will be the long-term conversation. Mm. And maybe it is that I know part of what Todd said is we don't want a world where only three nations play test cricket. I think in a decade's time, we'll ask ourselves why not? So Cummins spoke yesterday about 15 or 20 countries playing test cricket so that was an idea from a long time ago and that's never going to happen yeah. and i don't think test cricket would actually be well served by that the people are the cricket is in rude health just not test cricket so i feel like there'll be a time where we'll all get past that it doesn't matter whether our 15 year olds are watching test cricket they watch the bbl every night mm. and you know they my son hounds me to take him to the to the BBL, I'm not sure about yours, but that's where they want to start. And then maybe once they reach our age, they will have they will found the fine wine that is Test cricket Hopefully. as well. So I don't fear for cricket, and I do think I think Test cricket will change enormously over the next decade. And I'm probably on the other side of things. There'll be a lot of people going, well, you can't you can't find Test cricket down just to those nations. I think there's a time where we'll ask ourselves, why wouldn't we yeah. find out? Why wouldn't we deliver the premium product? Every year. It's fascinating to me because the World Cup was, was so interesting to me because of how competitive it was. Like the Netherlands won two games, for goodness sake. Sh- yeah. Sri Lanka and England struggled, but it was like rock up and I didn't know who was definitively going to win. And it was so competitive between 10 nations. Now that's the flow on effect from the, the, the focus on the short format and that translated into the 50 over game. I get that, but oh, it would be terrific if that was test cricket and you had 10 strong nations like we did in the World Cup. But doesn't seem to be the yeah, reality. Yeah, but anyway, I think, yeah. Kane, that, that's cricket's blessing rather than its curse. Yeah. Is I think the multi-formats is great for cricket. So it, it may very well find that the, the Olympics, the T20, is, is a boon um, for what might happen in America. And you might end up with T20 competitions that have 20 or 24 or 28 or 32 countries in future. And the World Cup gives you that lovely cross-section. I just don't think you need... I think we'll get to a point. You don't need countries that have no prospects of playing great red ball cricket, playing red ball cricket. And so that old, I think that will be an old idea. Mm. Uh, And we'll go, let's glory in the cricket that is played in all its different formats and as broad as possible in T20, protect the World Cup as the trophy in world cricket and then have test cricket for the nations who truly can populate it and play it at its absolute best and fill houses in the countries around the world. That, it, I, 
I feel like before I pass, that's where cricket will be. I hope you're right. It's going to be a great topic for you to cover throughout the, the summer on, on your cricket coverage and also your program when you resume with the, the Waitley program. You've had a huge day. Appreciate you wrapping it all up for us this evening. It's lovely to have you back on air, Kane. I've enjoyed clicking through um, where you lit the fires last night. <laughs> I came back with a bang. Let me tell you, I was sitting you on a did? few things. Yes. Jared uh, Waitley is being with us. Yes. Yeah, there's a couple of others. Sean Darcy got to mention as well, Bailey Smith and some others. But uh, yeah, I hope I didn't fire all my bullets too early. Jared, we'll speak to you soon. Good on you, Kane. Cheers. That was all thanks to Budget Car and Truck Rental. Get the good stuff with Budget Car and Truck Rental. If you've got a thought on any of that, Jared's thoughts, why would we play against the weaker nations if they're not prioritising it? Let's just have it against England and India. And and that will be the marquee event when it comes to red ball cricket and everything else in and around that is supported by the shorter formats. Uh, Get the good stuff with Budget Car and Truck Rental. And Jared was also here thanks to APCO. You can skip the queue with APCO and the app. With the APCO app, you can pay for petrol from the comfort of your car or pre-order food and drinks. Just a quick sports update thanks to Tire Power. The hot summer sale is now on. Your local Tire Power hot summer sale. Get four for the price of three on Kumo Tires. Well, we did get some cricket last night. Remember last night we spoke to Liam Pickering about whether there would be cricket or not. We did, and it was the Stars again off the back of a a best-on-ground performance from Glenn Maxwell. They've won their fourth in a row, and they are flying throughout the tournament. And that was the uh, Melbourne Derby or Derby, whichever way you say it last night at the MCG in a rain-shortened game. Maxwell made 32, and he also took one for eight off his three overs. This is Sports Day. There's plenty more coming up. We're going to talk some tennis We're going to talk some NBL and hopefully a couple of your calls on the Harcourt's open line on the other side of this. It's 1-300-736-736. Pakistan made 313 in response. The Aussies, none for six with David Warner, six not out. The Tim Tam McFlurry is back at Macca's. Now available with rich chocolate soft serve. Epic has arrived. The Kia EV9, a groundbreaking all-electric large SUV. Captivating appearance with state-of-the-art design. This is Sports Day. It is Sports Day. If you are just joining us, a pretty interesting day one of the third test at the SCG between the Aussies and Pakistan. Pakistan won the toss they elected to bat. Both their openers went for a duck off two balls each. And you thought, oh, here we go. This is going to be a disaster. But uh, a nice fight back from Rizwan and also the tail Jamal, which wagged. And they got themselves to 313. In response, uh, David Warner and Usman Khwaja survived just one over. We are none for six. Warner punched one through uh, point for four off his first ball in his last test match. Um, so it sets up a pretty interesting final four days. Speaking of interesting, this time of year it is tennis. It is dominated by tennis. And one man who just dominates the whole period is our next guest. He's been good enough to join us. And he's going to be busy. His name is Brett Phillips. He's our tennis expert. BP, good to chat. Happy New Year. Uh, likewise, Kane. Yeah, we're right into the, uh, the thick of it. We haven't even started the Australian Open yet. But the, uh, yeah, the summer of tennis uh, in Perth and Sydney and... Brisbane in Canberra. It'll head to um, yeah, Hobart and Adelaide over the next couple of weeks. So, yeah, all the tennis fans around the country are getting a chance to see some of the, the world's finest up close and personal. We are BP, but I'm a, I'm a little bit lost in the scheduling of it all. You, I think you just mentioned four states there with tennis happening everywhere, that the United Cup's been on, which has been good, but it's a, a team format. What's been 
the event that most of the elite players are going to choose to best prepare for the Aussie Open? Yeah, well, I've been covering the uh, the Brisbane International for nine the last couple of days uh, during the day, and that, that's where a lot of the good players are. And this tournament, of course, is returning. Kane, after a, a four-year hiatus, they tried the ATP Cup there. Brisbane, the tennis fans, absolutely wanted their own tournament back. So it is a WTA 500. Um, and Igor Fiontek, the world number one, is playing for Poland at the United Cup. But, you know, Arena Sabalenka, Elena Rybakina and the like are all playing uh, in Brisbane. It's a men's 250. So what they try and do is certainly spread all the top echelon players across the different tournaments so that, you know, you haven't got all the absolute big guns just in Brisbane. You've got Djokovic over in Perch, Fiontek, mm. uh, the two world number ones. And, yeah, Brisbane's a pretty good field, to be totally honest, with a good, you know, sprinkling of Aussies, particularly on the men's side, you know, just how competitive we are inside the top 100 at the moment. So, yeah, I mean, there's obviously the tour events. There's the United Cup. You know, we're not, we're not sure if we're going to see the United Cup maybe in 12 months' time, depending on the Saudi money and that coming in, whether that affects um, our summer here. But, yeah, we're lucky because all the players are in Australia. So all the best are here, what, you know, a fortnight out from the Grand Slam. So we're, we're getting to see the best. Yeah, I was going to, uh, that was going to be my next question. That'd be thrilled, wouldn't they, the, the Australian Open organisers, apart from, from Kyrgios, who won't play, and he would, he would be the one that they would want to schedule. They're not going to get him, but apart from that, they get everyone else. So Asaka's back, which is terrific. Yep. Rafa Nadal, who knows? He said it may be probably <laughs> his last, but, but don't put those words in his mouth if he comes back next year. And even Angelique Kerber's going to be here and, and Djokovic. So... All the big guns are here. We're not missing many. No, absolutely not. And uh, look at, you know, on the women's side, it is very much the comeback queens. You know, uh, Caroline Wozniacki coming back. She's in Auckland at the moment. There is a tour event over there. Uh, Angie Kerber, as you've mentioned. You know, Osaka had another hit out today. Uh, did go down in three sets to Carolina Pliskova, but she just needs some matches. I mean, she's missed 15 months of pro tennis. You can train as much as you like, but as you know, Kane, until you get out into the the field of battle, so to speak. Um, you don't quite know where your level's at, but she's lost none of her raw power, Osaka. And I think we're going to see a different personality this time. I mean, she's an introverted, shy girl, but she wants to give the fans something back. She wants to play with a smile. I suppose giving birth gives you a little bit of perspective on life. And, you know, I think we'll see her have some impact on the sport. She's got no ranking right now, so she'll get all the wild cards into everything as a four-time Grand Slam champion. But... Gee, uh, you don't want to be going up against Naomi Osaka in uh, the first couple of rounds of the Australian Open because the way she's been striking the ball in Brisbane has been really, really encouraging. And I think you said on breakfast the other day that you feel like Demonor quarterfinal would be a, a good result and something that is realistic. Is I mean, I think uh, Fitzy, John Fitzgerald, said he's never seen him play better. Yeah. Is that his max? Like, is that about where his talents will get him to a quarterfinal? Can he can he go further with what he's got or not? Well, I think he probably continues to surprise many. You know, this year I thought, well, 2023, I thought if he can consolidate between 10 and 20, but be closer to 10 in the rankings, that was a big tick. So he finishes the year at 12. And there's some people who have just written him off being a, you know, a permanent top 20 player and people never thinking he'd become a top 10 player. Look, I think he's got all the talent to do that. He's, he's just a player you don't want to play. So his assets are very good. But to climb and be inside the top 10, yeah, he's got to win some matches just a little easier, particularly off serve. I mean, you know, this is what gets these big guys going. They just yeah. win so many free points off serve. That, you know, one-two punch, serve forehand. 
It just sets up so many points, conserves energy. So if he can do that, he's a big chance. But this year, I think, look, if he can you know, get into that sort of ninth, eighth spot, I think that's really, really achievable. And then it just comes down to draw, it comes down to matchups. But people don't like playing Alex Demonor because from ball one, he's trying to put enormous pressure on you. So, yeah, it's, um, it's a tough matchup. Uh, Kokonakis, what sort of shape is he in? He had a, a couple of niggles, as seems to be always the case mm. with him, but he, he, he's back and, and looking okay, is he? Well, yeah, it's an interesting one. I, you know, look, he's sitting at 65 in the world. He loses first round Brisbane to Rinky Hijikata, who's had a yeah. great last 12 months, and Rinky's bound for the top 50. And in Thanasi's own words, Kane, he's not in love with this sport. Mm. You know, he finds the grind really, really tough. and He's, he's hanging in there. And maybe some of his best tennis is still to come, but you've got to be you've got to be highly driven in this sport. There's nowhere to hide on a tennis court, as we know. And the game on the men's side is getting even more physical. These guys are hunting you all the time, so he's got to be able to go to that next level. Look, we're not going to judge him on one match. He'll return to your native Adelaide, you know, with a bit of confidence next week. What he did last year and that home crowd in his hip pocket. But really, he should be a top 50 player for Nasi. I mean, at a minimum somewhere in that top 50. So we'll, we'll see how the year pans out. Pretty tough if you don't love the sport and you're not you're not jumping out of bed to to want to go and practice for three or four hours. Like it, it does become a bit of a chore. And you know, we're seeing... I was looking at Nadal the other day. I'm going, the amount of prize money this guy's got. Like, he's the king. He's everyone's favourite. Yeah. And he's still at 37 with his banged-up body coming to Australia and playing lead-up tournaments and giving it everything else. I remember playing doubles the other day. I was like... This guy just loves it. Federer was the same. He had to pry the racket out of his hand. Uh, Novak's the yeah. same. I mean, it's across all sport. Uh, you look at the NBA and LeBron James still going at 40. They love it. It, it becomes so hard because it's so even if, you, if you're not in love with the sport. No, exactly. I mean, they just develop elite habits, don't they? I mean, you watch Nadal train and it's match simulation. He's not going at half rat power. He's going at full tilt. He's always been like that. And... That's what keeps these guys at the absolute top and separates them from a big pack of players who can all hit a really good ball, but just, you know, their attention to detail and being able to, you know, go to the next level in rallies and points is just not quite there. I mean, you can, you know, sit comfortably inside the top 100 where Thanasi is and get into all the majors and, you know, earn a decent living out of the sport. But, yeah, to get to the next level, it takes a you know, pretty special character. All right, what else? Uh, is your man Alcaraz, is he in good shape? Is he the, the, the main challenger? Yeah, it's going to be interesting, isn't it? I mean, you know, his first half of last year was great. He tailed off um, a bit like the previous year. He tailed off a little bit in the second half of the year. But he's still figuring, you know, his body out. He's still figuring uh, his game out. And he's achieved so much early doors. But look, this year, you know, he, uh, Yannick Sinner, is almost maybe ready to win a Grand Slam. If Djokovic has a bad day, Holger Rune, who we're going to see in action, the young Dane in Brisbane tonight as a top seed, you know, Ben Shelton, the American. There's a lot of good young talent going around, Kane. The game's in good nick. Uh, Djokovic is still you know, telling all of them, well, you're still going to beat me best of five in a Grand Slam. That's the challenge. Uh, but it's an exciting time in men's tennis. But, yeah, Alcaraz not playing this week. Um, you know, we'll, we'll arrive in Melbourne and prepare. Maybe play a match at Kuyong as a, a late entry there, but yeah, I think, you know, it'd be just great to have him in Australia because we didn't have him here 12 months ago and the crowd get to see how you know, good this kid is up close and personal. He won't have Juan Carlos Ferrero, his coach, on board. He's going to stay home for the early part of the season, which, you know, those two have been 
hand in gloves uh, throughout his mm. development. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the early part of the season, some players are cherry right and some will take a couple of months to work into the year. But, yeah, it's going to be an exciting uh, fortnight at the AO with a Sunday start. All right, BP, looking forward to it. You'll be all over it. Appreciate your time this evening, as always, mate. Pleasure. Thank you, Kane. Brett Phillips there, and that was all thanks to Mate Internet and Mobile. $20 off for five months with Mate Internet, and you can use the promo code SAVE20 with Mate Internet. Um, we posted a whole heap of stuff on social media of the show last night, which got a few of you up in arms. You can catch us on our Twitter page uh, on SEN for, for those that you missed. It. But what I did do was counted down some of the biggest stories that, that happened whilst I was on holidays, and I came back with a bit of a flurry as you're going through it all. We spoke to Jared about the concerns about test cricket. He sort of got the same, but just thinks that we should focus on the strong nations and that's who Australia should play. He's got concerns about the others, including the West Indies, which uh, which happens in a week or so's time here in Adelaide and, and the one-sided nature of that. Spoke about Clayton Oliver and uh, the fact that Melbourne have demanded for him to meet minimum standards and the fact that he's not meeting those minimum standards. It's been a short pre-season so far and already a couple of issues for Clayton. So what now? Melbourne have said you've got to meet the minimum standards and if you don't, there'll be consequences. They threaten to trade him. Well, he's not meeting the minimum standards. So what do they do now? What what leg do they have to stand on? Do they stand him down? Feels like that would be the worst thing that could happen for, for Clayton Oliver to lose that discipline of having to front up and, and train. So they've, they've threatened him with that. It hasn't worked. I'm not sure what leg they have to stand on. Now the Melbourne Footy Club, we spoke about Nick Kyrgios and... Can't believe he's charging people to, to look at his content on OnlyFans when he probably should be focusing on playing big tennis matches and getting the best out of himself. I, it was strong thoughts, and I've been frustrated by him a long time. I said he's uh, had the, the most waste of talent of any Australian athlete, and stand by that. Hard to, find of, hard to find another athlete that has wasted the amount of talent that he has got. Spoke about the AFL rule changes a little bit, touched on West Coast and Bailey Smith. Sean Darcy's big seven-year contract. A few people have reached out to me today about that. They said, well, Fremantle have lost a lot of players. What happens if they lost another one? You'd be critical of Fremantle losing another player. I said, well, I don't know. I think his value is high, Sean Darcy. Get a couple of first-round draft picks for him. Bolster your midfield, which needs bolstering since Monday has left and Fife has been injured. And get a small forward to replace Lockie Schultz. And you've got Luke Jackson in the ruck. Bang! Sorted! Rather than paying $1.8 million for, for two ruckmen when only one of them can ruck. That was my thoughts on that. We'll see how that plays out. But I think it's unlikely that Sean Darcy sees out that contract until the end of 2030. Those were some of the topics that we covered last night. Hey, we've got an exciting uh, giveaway as well to our South Australian audience who are with us. The caller of the week, SA only. one 736 to go in the running for that. Uh, it is all thanks to Budget Car and Truck Rental. Get the good stuff with Budget Car and Truck Rental. Moving house, use a team that's easy and affordable. Budget Car and Truck Rental, 132727. What's the what's the prize? Um, there is a caller of the week, thanks to Budget. I'm trying to work out what the prize is, thanks to Budget. We're just update. Here we go. Here we go. Double pass to see the strikers. On Friday night, hottest ticket in town for the caller of the week, SA audience only. Welcome to you on SEN SA 1629 if you want to get involved in the program and have your say on all of that. Please do so. Otherwise, I am talking to myself.
Uh, now, our sports headlines tonight have all been thanks to the spirit of Tasmania. I saw Nathan Buckley. I reckon he was on the spirit of Tassie before Christmas uh, with his lovely partner, Brody. Now, that looks magnificent. And I was incredibly jealous of what Bucks got up to in his off-season. You can stretch out in freedom on board the spirit of Tassie. Free from luggage limits, you can pack more into your adventures with the spirit of Tassie. Get involved. Join in the conversation with me, one 736 736 Just recapping what went down at the SCG today. The Aussies lost a toss. Pakistan elected to bat on a beautiful summer's day at the SCG. Sun was shining. I thought the pitch looked really good, to be honest. Uh, Aussies bowled well. Um, good discipline. Line and length. Hazelwood, Stark and Cummins were on the money. Got off to a ripping start. Had them about four for 60 before a fight back from Muhammad Rizwan, who made 88 of 103. So he had a crack, 10 fours and two sixes. He was eventually dismissed. The Aussies got on a bit of a run before the tail wagged significantly. Jamal made himself 82 off 97. He had a crack and Pakistan got themselves to 313. The pick of the bowlers was the skipper, Pat Cummins, as we spoke to Jared Whateley about five for 61 off his 18 overs. Lyon took a little bit of punishment, particularly from the tail one for 74 off his 17. Stark was good, two for 75. And Hazelwood, always reasonably economical, albeit he took a bit of punishment as well in the end. Uh, one for 65. Labashane bowled himself a couple of overs and Travis Head bowled one. And in response, the Aussies just had to face a tricky one over. David Warner took up the challenge to, to face that over and he hit the first ball of his final test match. Not going to say his final, final innings, it might be, but his final test match for four. Uh, he is six not out. Kawaja hasn't faced a ball, and we are set for a pretty exciting second day where you feel like the Aussies are going to um, respond with a pretty big title. You are listening to Sports Day. It's Kane Corns in the house, uh, and that prize is thanks to Budget Car and Truck Rental, our South Australian audience, one 736 736 if you want to take... Uh, if you want to give us a call on the other side of this, double pass into the MTX Club. Not just a striker's ticket, an MTX Club striker's ticket versus the Scorchers on Friday night. We'll take a couple of your calls on the other side of this. Sports Day for McDonald's. The Tim Tam McFlurry is back at Macca's. Now available with rich chocolate soft serve. Epic has arrived. The Kia EV9, a groundbreaking all-electric large SUV. Captivating appearance with state-of-the-art design. This is Sports Day. It is Sports Day. Kane Corns with you for the next little while. We're going to speak some NBL with Felix Von Hoff. Does a great job for ESPN very, very shortly. There is uh, live cricket on at the moment, so I'll give you an update on that. Sydney Sixers are taking on the Brisbane Heat. The Sixers off there, 11 overs, 2 for 68. Felipe is 40. Uh, and Enrique's, Moses Enrique's is not out on 12. Um, double header in the BBL tonight. The Perth Scorchers taking on the Adelaide Strikers on the other side of this, I believe, as well. So what a day of cricket it is. From about 10 o'clock through until nearly midnight, you're going to get cricket, uh, which is good. And you'll hear all of that on SEN if you are listening via SEN and also on the SEN app. A quick sports update is thanks to Tire Power. The hot summer sale is now on your local Tire Power hot summer sale. Get four for the price of three on Kumo tyres. Speaking of cricket, Phoebe Litchfield's second ODI 100 and a ruthless display with the ball. 
to seeing the Aussies thrash India by 190 runs to seal a series whitewash. Uh, Litchfield's 125 ball, 119, and an emphatic return to form by captain Elisa Healy laid the foundations before Alana King's flurry saw Australia 7 for 338, which is their highest total against India. Um, and they were clinical with the ball and in the field. Um, so Megan Schutt, Georgie Wareham, uh, and Alana King were the pick of the bowlers. One of the dismissals that Alana King bowled was about the perfect leg break. Saw that on social media, replayed a couple of times today. Just uh, absolute spin bowling perfection. Uh, let's talk about the NRL. We don't do that much, but the worst kept secret in the NRL has officially been confirmed on Wednesday afternoon. The West Tigers confirming the signing of Penrith Panthers star uh, Jerome Luau. Uh, he's been reportedly informed Penrith of his intentions to leave the club a week before Christmas. So they can respond with an improved offer. It's a five-year, $6 million offer, um, and it was nearly impossible for any other club to match. So he had a tough decision to make. Um, so that is some, some big news. It's pretty ruthless, that sport, as well, with the way that uh, movement happens over there and the mature nature in which they handle it. If you want to get involved on Sports Day, you know the number. It is all thanks to our great friends at Harcourts, one 736 736 And the show doesn't happen without our major partners. That is Kia. Epic has arrived. The all-electric Kia EV9. And, of course, for Maccas, the Chicken Big Mac is back at Maccas. We're going to talk some NBL. The uh, season is flying. Felix von Hoff to join us on Sports Day next. The Tim Tam McFlurry is back at Macca's. Now available with rich chocolate soft serve. Epic has arrived. The Kia EV9, a groundbreaking all-electric large SUV. Captivating appearance with state-of-the-art design. This is Sports Day. Thanks for your time on Sports Day this evening. Certainly been a busy one. If you've missed any of it, Jared Whateley and BP, our tennis expert. Speaking of experts, it's time now to get to our next guest. All thanks to Nutrien Ag Solutions going further for Australian farmers. Find your local branch at nutrient.com.au. Felix von Hoff is our NBL expert. All thanks to ESPN, of course, doing a magnificent job covering the NBL this year. Felix, thanks for your time again. No worries. Happy to be here, mate. I feel like I say this every year when I speak to you, but I've got to say the M- the NBL is flying. Like I've I've been to a couple of games, and and my Adelaide Thirty Sixes are are really struggling. They're the the worst team in the competition. But I was there last Thursday when when Perth decimated them. But I just feel like the strength, the evenness of the competition, it really has had it all this year. Am I right in saying that? Definitely, mate. It's it's absolutely flying, and it has been for the last couple of years. But yeah. I think this year. It's really just taken that extra step as well. Look, almost all the games are sold out. The fact that you're going to the Adelaide 36ers games and saying that it's flying is probably saying something as well because that great club, the once great club will say, and they'll definitely be back there soon, is, uh, is struggling to say the least. But look, obviously, you know, I'm at a lot of the Melbourne games that are here and they're all sold out and the energy's great. But it's also one of the great sort of tells with a sports league and, and how it's going is when, you know, in the early days, you used to be giving tickets away and, you know, be hard to get mm. tickets. But nowadays, you know, even when people text to get tickets, it's, it's almost impossible. And you've got, you know, footy players that, you know, the, the cream of the crop in terms of sporting talent in this country that are sitting in the, you know, the, the back rows and stuff like that sometimes because they can't get the usual tickets where you'd be sitting courtside. And I always think that's a bit of a good judge of, of where the league's at. But one of the biggest things of it, and, and you, you mentioned it there, the parity of the league. You know, you've got pretty much top to bottom, everyone's in with a chance. And I think outside of a couple of teams at the bottom, 
you know, these, this final stanza of the season is going to determine who finishes anywhere from second to sixth. Teams can drop all the way through. So any given night, there's no real dead rubber clashes outside of a couple. A lot of them are really competitive games. Yeah, I must admit the uh, Perth-Melbourne game, uh, it was at John Kane, wasn't it, with the Open Arena uh, just before, just after Christmas or just before was uh, magnificent. And you speak of the footballers, Fev was front row and he was cheering for, for Melbourne and, and that was as good a game as I've seen and had everything and, and you're right you mentioned the 36ers and it was sold out like they're, they're last they've sacked their coach they've got a new one they couldn't be any worse and <laughs> yeah you couldn't get a ticket but uh, I guess Melbourne are the, are the story of it 14 and 4 I think they are last time I checked and they, they're the best team in it but it's not to say they're not gettable is, is that a fair comment? Oh, they're, they're definitely gettable. And I think the narrative, sometimes we can get we can get a bit lazy and we just look at the team that's so far ahead and it's the easiest story to make is, oh, they're the ones. They're, there's nothing that can go wrong here. And, and I think that's what we've sort of fallen into a bit with Melbourne. We need to remember that they've played so many home games, so many mm. home games, and they've lost. They've dropped a few on the road. Now, they're about to go into a road stretch for, I think, the next seven games are all on the road. Because of the Australian Open, they can't play John Kane Arena. They've got to be playing these road games. And, look, they lost their last road game to Cairns who aren't all that great by about 20 points. So I think that Melbourne, if there's ever a time to catch them, it's going to be now. And the real test for them is going to be this road trip. If they come out of that relatively unscathed, then I'll, I'll happily buy into the, uh, you know, if there's mm. the lose right now. But I think there's a couple of teams nipping at the heels that will be pretty happy to see Melbourne drop a few road games. Yeah, speaking of uh, road games, I, I mentioned I went to the Perth-Adelaide game and was fortunate enough to catch up with, with John really after, and he was really generous with his time. But they'd been on a, on a six, seven-day road trip across the Christmas period and... I mean, the way that they've turned their season around, two and five, they started their front page stories on the, the front of the West Australian. They're so passionate um, and everyone was panicking a little bit, but they did hold it firm and the leadership of the club was really strong and, and they look good. Led by Bryce Cotton, like, the guy's a freak. If you watch him live, the amount of work he does on and off the ball is frightening. How's the MVP race sitting right now? Is he in the mix? Yeah, well, the, the Perth Wildcats are a funny one, isn't it? Because it was they were calling for Hutchie's head. They were calling yeah. for John Rilly. And how, how quickly the sporting landscape changes, especially with those crazy West Australians. They've, they've calmed down a lot when you're winning. But the MVP race, I think that the way that Bryce Cotton has just absolutely turned that Perth season around, it was his stats perfectly match up with wins. Now, it's a dangerous mm. way to play when you're so heavily reliant on one player. And it, it's always that age old, how do we judge the MVP? Is it the most valuable player? Or is it the best player on the best team? But I think no matter... What way you go, Bryce Cotton's currently the clubhouse leader. I think another one that's a smoky is Pat Miller from Cairns. He's been playing quite well as well. A guy that was brought in to be a backup and now he's an MVP contender. Jalen Adams is another guy that's been putting up really big numbers. But I, I think right now, it's, as it is at this point every year, it's Bryce Cotton's to lose for the MVP award for sure. Um, and some of the other the storylines, I guess um, New Zealand are, are starting to turn the corner a little bit and, and they look uh, to be... Um, have the goods really. I think Perth go and play there in the next couple of days. So that'll be a good test for them. But is there any team apart from Adelaide that are out of it? Like the Hawks are, are a fair way back as are Brisbane, but not completely out of touch. No, I think, look, even even Adelaide, you just you never know what can happen. And, and teams can turn it around in the NBL. We've seen it before. Teams have lost 10 games in a row and then made the grand final series. But the, the Hawks are the interesting one right now. And, and the Breakers, who have got their, you know, potent, a guy that at the beginning of the season was a league MVP candidate in Cheatham. He's back in their lineup, and now they're starting to win a couple of games. But the one for me is the, the Illawarra Hawks. Look, they've won, I think they're, 
they're sitting, they've won their last, or their four out of their last six that they've won, and they've won in good fashion now that mm. they've got their new coach, uh, Jason Tatum's father, in Justin Tatum, who I've called Jason Tatum, I think, about 17 times in <laughs> the broadcast now. I just, oh, I just can't, I cannot get it wrong, and I'm sure he gets it all the time, and he absolutely hates it, but, but he's right, and he's turned this club around, and you know what it's like to play for a coach where you'd run through a brick wall for them, yeah. and this is the sort of guy that they're saying he is. They say he's like a dad in the locker room. Now, I don't know whether that's a good or bad thing, but it, it seems to be working for them right now. So they're mm. a team that, you know, with the way they're playing, they could sneak up into the top four and surprise a couple of teams. So, yeah, it's, it, there's definitely no one's out of it. I would even say Adelaide are very, 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 very tough there. They, they probably mm. need a you know, LeBron James of sorts to, to get in there and fix <laughs> it up. But they're, they're definitely, uh, you know, they're, they're still capable of winning games. There is always the NBA connection, which which I kind of really like. And you mentioned Jason Tatum's father there. Alex Saar is the, is the number one prospect, as far as I've read, to be first picked in the NBA draft. We've seen the success of of Josh Giddy. I must admit, Felix, I'm I'm not sure about him. Like he he plays, I don't know, eighteen to twenty minutes. He's a couple of highlights, but he looks pretty raw to me. Is he ready to be the number one pick, or am I missing something? Well, it's an interesting one because I do think that this draft is not the strongest draft that we've mm. ever seen. You look at last year's, it's definitely not. You know, there's no Wemba Yamas coming in here the previous year, Chet Holmgren and, and a few of those other guys. But I do think the thing that people have to remember with Saar is that it's the potential. You know, at, at 18 years old, at that size, a little over seven foot in the way that he moves, the NBA mm. teams, what they're looking for, they're not necessarily looking for production immediately. Now, when you see guys that age with production, you get your mellow balls, NBA Rookie of the Year. Josh Giddy, the guys that are putting up those numbers immediately. But I think the exciting thing with Sa is the tools that you've got to work with. You know, he's, he's super tall. He's super long. He can shoot. He doesn't play outside of himself. He plays to win, which is a big one as well. You know, he could go out there and he could hunt stats, but he's helping Perth win games. And I think that's the thing that's most impressive about Saar. And we also have to remember the competition that he's playing against here compared to what the competition guys in college are playing against. Who are the guys that he's going up with? in this draft is a lot, a lot tougher playing physically against men, especially in that sort of centre-forward position. So sometimes it's hard to see, but the NBA is one of those leagues where Saar could get drafted number one, he goes over there and he averages 20 points in his first year, and we sit here thinking, how does that possibly transfer over? It's just one of those weird leagues where there's guys in the NBL, you know, Jay Sean Tate played over here for Sydney. He played solid, you know, he was a pretty serviceable guy. And he goes over and he suddenly gets a three-year, $19 million deal and he's, he's absolutely balling out. So it's, it's very, the NBA is such a weird league in terms of who works and who doesn't. But I, I would have to agree with you a little bit. I think that, you know, when I look at him, I'm not like he's jumping off the page, but no. I think he's definitely got enough potential to be a number one pick. Yeah, I, I must admit, to be honest, I thought that with Giddy as well. I watched him closely at Adelaide and he, I didn't think he had sure ball handling. I thought he turned the ball over a lot, but then... They yeah. pick him six, and he has a he has a great rookie season, and he's I don't know nearly on the verge. Things haven't gone exactly to plan this year of a, of a max deal. So, you're right in saying that sometimes they're better at yeah. the NBA level than they are at the NBL level. Is that the attraction with, with this competition? Is the level of competitiveness and playing against men? And do you think we'll see more young prospects come out here? Yeah, well, I think I think though, I know there's a really exciting one in the works that we sort of. Nothing's been confirmed on yet. A couple of guys over there because right now your main competition for young guys coming over here because college, you can, they can earn a lot of money in college now, which is a hard yeah. thing. They can earn almost a million dollars in college, which is tough. But they can also get, you know, some of these guys can earn 600, 800 here in that Next Stars program. So they can get quite a lot of money. But the issue is that G League Ignite, which is their version of the Next Stars over there in America, 
it's starting to prove that it's not the best pathway. And, you know, the, the more guys that come over here and do the Lamello ball, the Josh Giddies, that sort of stuff, and the better they play in the NBA, the more we're going to get. So I think that over the next couple of years, we'll continue to get more and more. And Sar going as the number one pick is probably going to promote more people to come over here and, and potentially join that program. So it's the hard thing for coaches is that, you know, there's a couple of guys in that program that are so young that they're just, even though they'll be good NBA players eventually, they're just mm. too young to make an impact in a professional league. So it's a, it's a tough line for coaches to agree to be a part of the program, but I'm pretty sure uh, we'll, we'll get a few good ones next year and we'll be, have a few more in the lottery. Felix von Hoff is with us for our NBL update. We'll touch on the NBA in a moment as well, but uh, the big game between Melbourne United and, and Sydney is tomorrow night. What, what have you made of the Kings, up and down? Yeah, the Kings have been up and down, but they've also got a roster that can win against anyone in the league. So it's one of those ones where right now they've got a couple of issues that they need to fix, especially on the defensive end. They've been up and down and they've tried these different things, but some games it just clicks for them and they look like the best in the league. And You've always got to respect back-to-back champions. There's this winning culture within that program. And I think that you know Melbourne United are coming into this game off a really tough loss, which they haven't had to do too many times this year. And a game in Sydney... I know they come out in force and, you know, their owner, Paul Smith and whatnot, he'll be coming out and chirping and, and going nuts for it and Andrew Bogut and all those sort of guys. So there'll be a bit of energy in the building. And I think this is, this is a danger game, certainly for Melbourne. So I, I, think, uh, I think Sydney will certainly be able to prove that they're still a contender. All right, it was a big day of NBA action. It seems to be every day is a big day of NBA action. But one team that surprised me is, is Oklahoma. Uh, they knocked off. Boston, who were the best or second best team in the league leading into this game. SGA is absolutely on fire, this young uh, Thunder team. Have they surprised you? Have they snuck up on a few? Yeah, I think that they, they surprised me this year because I didn't expect Chet Holmgren to be as good no. as he is. Like, you know, he's, he's forty-five, I think, by the bookies uh, to win the rookie of the year, which no one would have picked at the start of the year. And right now in, in basketball, as soon as you get a great point guard, a good shooting guard and a great centre... You can sort of fill in the gaps everywhere else. And the exciting thing for them is they've got so many draft picks over the next couple of years that they're going to be able to trade out for... They're not going to use those draft picks in the draft. They're going to trade them to other teams in order to get other pieces and veterans to fit around. So I think it's exciting times that this isn't... You know, this is, I don't think this is meant to be a winning year for Oklahoma City, but it is just purely just because they've, they've over-exceeded their potential at the moment. So once they start trading in a couple of those picks and and get some proper talent in there, then I think that this is going to be a really, really special team. And hopefully we can get another small market team up there in the, uh, the championship banner. It'd be, be nice. They're, they're fun to watch. But what, what does it mean for Josh Giddy? Because he, he was a predominant ball handler. He doesn't seem to be that anymore. And his, his minutes have slid as has his production. Is he vulnerable on the trade table, do you think? Or do you expect him to sign long term? Yeah, I, I think he's definitely vulnerable. I, I, I think he'd be a fool to go out there and say that he's safe in his spot, mainly because I think um, SGA's come out and been so dominant on the ball as well. And I think mm. they've realised that they can sort of play with him in that position. And he's also, when you look at everyone on that team, he is such a valuable trade piece. There are so many teams out there that need a young point guard. San Antonio, right yeah. now, there's no one who ever wants to give the ball to Wimbayama. You've got <laughs> Sohan out there that's just happy to be on TV. So I, I think... San Antonio are the ones that really need to make a play for Josh Giddy and offer him the max deal to partner him with Wemby. I think that would be the perfect sort of result for all people. But the hard thing with San Antonio is, yeah, there's about six or seven players you could put on that roster that they still wouldn't accept the trade deal for. So it's, you know, Oklahoma City, when you're a contender, which you will be, you know, after that, you really want to put something together that can continue to push you forward. I'm just not sure if the teams that would be best for Josh have those 
certain players. But you never know, a three-team trade, four-team trade could end up with him going there. But I'd love to see him at San Antonio if they do decide to go down that. Where's That's it at with the, the, the trade window? We saw one, a big one between Toronto and the, the Knicks involving RJ Barrett. I think OG Ananobi's gone there. Is the window open for a, a matter of weeks? Is it open to the end of the year now? It's, it's almost hard to get your head around these mid-season trades when you come from an, an AFL background. Yes, it's, it's, a, it's a tough one. And guys are getting moved left, right and centre. But I, think, I believe we've got a couple more weeks or at least a week to go of it and then it'll shut down. It'll open up again a little bit later. But I believe that there's no real rumours of any massive, like, you know, the Lakers aren't going to make a play for anyone. There's going to be no contenders that are really going to push any superstars around. So I think it's going to be fairly quiet. The RJ Barrett one was a good one to see. At least he gets to go home to Canada and hopefully live up to a bit of that potential. But, yeah, nothing that will really blow uh, Wadge or Shams on Twitter out of the water. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, uh, we're loving the NBL season, loving your coverage of it. ESPN doing a magnificent job. You're at the forefront of that. And it's another jam-packed action with all the big guns uh, playing. So look forward to tuning in. We'll chat to you throughout the rest of the year. Easy. Thanks, mate. Go 36ers. Yeah, go the 36ers there. In, uh, all sorts of trouble. My 36ers languishing last on the bottom of the ladder. Um, and they take on Melbourne United, the best team in the comp, in their next game. So look out, Felix Von Hoff, our guest there, taking us through the NBL update. And that was all thanks to Australian Made. It's important to buy Australian right now. Look for the logo and be sure it is Aussie. Been a big day of sport, so let's get to it. All thanks to Brandt Equipment. I'll tell you what, they're the experts in agriculture covering your equipment parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. We just touched on it with Felix, but uh, the next star, Alex Saar from Perth, he's right up the top of the NBA draft rankings, which which did take me by surprise a little bit, but uh, he's the rated the number one prospect by ESPN, so the guru's there. Um, they reckon he's become more and more consistent as the year's gone on with the Wildcats, and his improvement has coincided with Perth's run of wins. So he will be in for a huge payday, the Frenchman, if uh, if he is selected number one in the NBA draft. Good luck to him. Um, now, the comment on his game is that he plays a compact, efficient role as a cutter, roller, and offensive rebounder with plenty of freedom to demonstrate his versatile skill set, pushing off the defensive glass and facilitating as a passer, making perimeter shots in a variety of ways and showing his excellent footwear, footwork, I should say, and soft touch as a finisher, courtesy of the NBA draft expert, Jonathan Gavoni. He explained that. Uh, let's get to some soccer. One of my favourite strikers ever was Wayne Rooney. He'd been fired as the Birmingham City manager after a run of nine defeats in 15 games. That left the team on the brink of the EFL Championship relegation zone. Um, and a couple of American owners of Birmingham, they... Uh, they let him know that he was no longer required anymore. So Wayne Rooney is gone. Sport is brutal. It is cutthroat. And if you missed any of today's highlights from day one of the third test between the Aussies and Pakistan, this is what the day's play sounded like, all thanks to SEN Cricket. Stark left arm over the wickets, up beyond the 140s as he works into things. He bowls to Shafiq. It's full. He's edging and he's out. He's caught it. Second slip. Shafiq's gone. Second ball. Stark strikes instantly the most straightforward catch to Steve Smith and Pakistan dismally one for none. Stark in bowls, in on the pads this time and turned away by Masood. He got it sweetly off the blade and it rushes to the boundary for four. Three centuries, three half centuries and he's a goer. Same faces up, he's edging and he's caught by Carey. It's a duck to start a test career. 
for Saeem Ayub. Second ball of the over, just as Stark did. Hazelwood finally gets the edge that he's been probing for all series. Since 2018, the SCG. Stark to finish his fourth over. Bowls to Barber again, driving through the covers again. That's an even better shot. Nailed out towards the O'Reilly stand for the second time in the over. The dive from Lavashane will count for nothing. Two fours for Barber. A slight nick. Hazelwood to Barber on 22, and he plays the pull shot out through mid-wicket. Has one man to beat at deep square and beats him comfortably. Barbara's arms, fourth boundary for Azito. Cummins here. Inside edge. Cummins likes it for league before. But he's turned down by umpire Goff. He's sending it upstairs to the TV umpire, Joel Wilson. Two reds hits in line with middle and hitting. Cummins is bowling to him. He's edging and he's out into the gloves of Carey. He fended at the ball outside the off stump. And the Australians are running through Pakistan on the opening morning in Sydney. So plenty of room here. There's an entire bay that's vacant. At the Ramwick end to the side of the sight screen, bizarrely. Hazelwood delivers here to Rizwan, who slips the gully. He swings across the line, down to deep backwards square, and clears Mitchell Stark for six. Into the Delhi messenger stand. Ambitious. Marsh bowls. Masood edges to second slip, and he's out. He opened the blade, he fed the catch straight to Steve Smith, whose hands are so sure. It's Smith Smith's second catch of the innings, the 172nd catch of his test career. And Masood's got a nasty habit of this. He goes at the worst moments, having set himself up. He's gone. Oh, oh no ball. No ball. <laughs> Oh, Damien Fleming, Mitch Marsh just committed the cardinal sin. Come on, Mitch. That's a big run too, Jared. We'll see the impact of it as the afternoon unfolds. Marsh is bowling to Masood. He's edging and he's caught. Marsh has got the captain this time. He immediately turns to the umpire. Am I all clear? Am I all clear? Sean Masood is walking. Mitch Marsh, he had to wait, but he got his man. Eripili Pisana saved my career just by... If young bowlers are watching Nathan Lyon now... Delivers here around the wicket. Change of angle on the sweep. Sweeps it well. Rizwan into position so early. He plays that shot so often in white ball cricket. The only difference I see from the field they had at the MCG the other day is they don't have the fly slip to stop him playing that ramp shot. Josh Hazelwoods after the drinks break. Rizwan's on 49. Make it 50 as he clouts it past Warner at backwards square. He took on the field in the leg side. He bangs it to the boundary. He's a terrific wicketkeeper batter, Mohamed Rizwan. And he's taking the fight to Australia. Rizwan, he was motioning early and he lashed out down to deep mid-wicket for six. He shaped early Rizwan and there was no restraining him. Incredible. We're back in England. So many fields in the ashes were set just like this. Usually, though, with a leg gully. Three back on the leg side, as you say, Smithy. Rizwan, 88. Cummins, there's the bouncer. Pulls it out towards fine leg. And he's hold out! Rizwan, what's he done? He's got down on one knee. He's tried to hoik him into the Brawongal stand. And instead... He's given Pat Cummins a third wicket. And Stark is bowling to Salman, who pulls past Labashade in that position and away for four. So the little twist in the field costs a boundary. Cummins bowls again. Sajid pulls and he's caught. He's pulled it straight to line at square leg. 
And Australia's short ball battery buys the wicket of Sajid Khan. Storm is coming from the round wicket. It's Stark and he bowls. Salman pulls straight to mid-wicket and he's out as well. Good tactic. Head <laughs> takes the catch low down. Oh dear, Salman is standing with his hand on his hip, leaning on his bat in absolute disgust at what he's just done. Maybe in that kind of newish baggy green that he's wearing. Yeah. <laughs> Might come back to that next over. Cummins bowls here, back of a length. Hassan Ali helps it down to fine leg and it carries as well. Another Pakistani player caught in the trap. Straight to Mitchell Stark at fine leg. A five for Pat Cummins, three on the trot for the captain. Away from us. Jamal dances and through mid-wicket it goes towards the rope for four more. Just getting to the pitch of it, you heard the groan of no from Labashain. Eight runs from the over. Jamal 48, harms are yet to score. The partnership 45 with Pakistan. Hazelwood is striving to wrap this up. He bowls and Jamal pulls him out into the deep and he's found the gap and carried the distance. Six. So they've been out there for 86 balls together and the strike goes back to the man who wants it, Jamal. Five back, Stark bowls, short ball, takes it on, out to deep backward point, finds the gap for more. The Pakistan bench are up on their feet because that's his half century. What a splendid innings it's been. Amir Jamal playing his third test match. Six fours and a couple of sixes. Laden with risk early on, but defined by control as he moved through the gears. Amir Jamal. <laughs> Line bowls reverse sweeping. Jamal oh, wow. whacks that. Absolutely superb to the ladies' pavilion. And that two has, well, that one's carried the journey. That's gone for six. And Jamal is fully lashing out here. Jamal on the advance, down the ground he goes, he got it right out of the meets and into the stands for six. Jamal with the long handle against Lyon. Nathan Lyon just took a little bit of pace out of the ball and he just smacked it over wide mid on. Jamal on the advance again, straight back over Lyon for four. That was absolutely searing as it got near Lyon's hands. And Jamal, not for the first time, goes 6-4 off consecutive balls against Lyon.